Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been thirsty? Yeah, I mean, I know it's kind of a silly question, right? Like, we've all been thirsty. Everyone's been thirsty. But I mean, like, have you ever been, like, really, really thirsty? Yeah, this past fall, I had an experience that gave me uh, a deeper awareness of what it means to be really thirsty. I got the sense of what it, what it feels like to experience deep thirst in a whole new way. And uh, what happened was, um, we were a few weeks into September, the weather had already started to cool down, and we got this one gloriously hot day, okay? And I love the heat, Okay, and so I decided that I was going to go for a run. And uh, out I went, out for a run. And as I was running along, uh, the sun was beaming down on me. And it was all like warm and amazing and incredible. And it felt really good. And I kind of made this decision in my mind. I decided that this would be a good time for me to test out whether I had it in me to run the distance of a half marathon. Hey, this was a goal I'd kind of been playing around with in my mind, and I was like, this is the day. Today I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it my best shot, and, and I went at it, okay? And this was a, a poor decision on my part. Wouldn't have been a poor decision for everyone, but it was a poor decision for me, and the reason it was a poor decision was because in no way, shape, or form had I actually been training for a half marathon. In fact, I hadn't been running that much at all. The weather had cooled down. I don't like that. And so I wasn't really in, in great shape to be trying, trying this out, and not only that, I only had with me like this little dinky handheld uh, bottle of water. So I really wasn't prepared to run this distance. But um, when I, I'm the kind of person who, when I get it in my mind that I'm going to do something, I have a really hard time letting go of it. Okay? Some people might call me obsessive. Some people might call me stubborn. I like to think of myself as persevering. But either way, however you look at it, uh, I decided to do this. So I ran 11 kilometers out into the country. And that part wasn't so bad. Okay, but then I had to turn around and run all the way back home. And I had been trying really hard to ration my water. Okay, but by this point, halfway through, my water bottle was empty. Okay, and it was hot and I was starting to feel weak, and I was starting to get thirsty. But I didn't really have much of a choice at this point. I mean, I ran 11 kilometers under the country. I had to make it back, so I kept going. And as I was running, I just kept getting thirstier and thirstier, and it was like this thirst that I'd never experienced before. Like every fiber in my body was just desperate to get just one drip of water. I was so thirsty. I ran by an apple orchard. And I imagined myself just tearing an apple off of the tree and, and sucking the juice out of it. I ran by people's houses and I like tried to locate their hoses and I fantasized about running onto their properties and drinking water from their hose. It was like all I could think about was getting something to drink. And as I was running along in this pathetic state, I had an epiphany. Okay, and I know it was the Holy Spirit because I was in no physical condition to be having any epiphanies on my own accord. I had this epiphany, and I realized, it occurred to me, that I had once again fallen into the trap of living out my faith in the same way that I was doing this run. Let me explain. 
Okay, I had set this big goal that I wanted to accomplish. I had a clear vision of what I wanted to achieve that day. But I wasn't giving my body the one thing that it needed to keep going. I didn't have enough water. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As followers of Christ, everything that we do flows out of our relationship with him. And yet, it's so easy for us to shift our focus away from Christ and back onto ourselves. We can have big goals about the changes that we want to make in our lives. We can have big plans about the things that we're going to do for Jesus. But if it doesn't flow out of our relationship with Christ, the truth is that we either end up frustrated and feeling defeated and burnt out, or we end up feeling prideful and self-righteous. It never goes well. And this weekend at Evergreen, we've been focusing in on prayer for this very reason. We want to make sure that in our own lives and as a church family, we're staying centered and focused on Christ. We want to make sure that we're attached to the vine. This morning, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. And if you participated in 24 hours of prayer this weekend, you know that this has been our theme for the whole weekend. The Lord's Prayer is a really simple but really beautiful prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And if you want to learn to pray, if you're looking to grow in your prayer life, you really can't get a more qualified teacher than Jesus himself. Amen? Amen. So this is where we're going to focus our attention this morning. In the book of Matthew, we find the Lord's Prayer within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is this section of teaching where Jesus is, his, is explaining to his followers what life looks like in the kingdom of God. He's describing what the kingdom of God is all about. And one of the key themes that goes throughout this entire section of teaching is that God is not interested in behavior modification. God isn't impressed when we get really good at following a bunch of religious rules or putting on a good religious performance. He wants to change our hearts. God's interested in transforming us from the inside out. And that transformation can only happen in the context of our relationship with him. So let's look at our passage. If you have your Bible, you can open up with me to Matthew 6. And we're going to be working through uh, verses 5 to 13. And this is specifically where Jesus is teaching his followers about prayer. And he starts off this section by teaching them about the posture that he wants them to take when they pray about the posture. This is really important. It matters when we come before God, the posture that we take. And so he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, 
Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus starts off by addressing this tendency in religious culture to pray in a certain way in order to kind of impress the people around us. Right? Probably many of you here have felt that pressure when you're in groups and you're praying that you want your prayer to sound good. Right? You don't want to be praying and, and have people think that you're a loser, right? You want to make sure you have the right words, you're using the right tone. It can feel like there's a lot of pressure to do it the right way. And some people get really good at praying using fancy theological words. And it can be tempting for us to shift our focus. Right? It can be tempting for us to shift our focus away from God and onto sounding really holy in front of the people around us. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't show off. Don't worry about what the people around you think. Go into your room. Close the door. Get alone with your father. It's about intimacy. It's this invitation to be intimate with our father. And the word in the Greek that Jesus uses when he's talking about the room here, it's actually, he's not talking about our bedroom. Often we, talk, we think bedroom. Um, he's using a word that describes a storage closet. And in ancient Palestine, houses didn't typically have rooms that were sectioned off with doors, but they did have this one storage closet, and it would be typically the only room in the house that you could actually close the door and lock. And so Jesus is drawing this really stark contrast. Right? He's not saying don't pray in community. We have stories of Jesus praying with his disciples. It's good to pray in community. His focus is on our intention. It's on our heart. Right? When we pray, we're not putting on a production. We're just entering into this intimate relationship with our Father. And then Jesus goes on to address another temptation when, when we're talking about our posture in prayer. He says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So in the pagan religion of the time that Jesus was teaching, in the Greek religions, people were constantly trying to manipulate their gods. And what they would do is they would recite the different names of their deities. They would remind their gods about all of the good things that they'd done, about the sacrifices that they'd made, and they'd try to persuade them to give them what they wanted. Right? Can you imagine that if you're, if you're a parent, can you imagine that your kids talk to you this way, that they came to you this way when they needed something? Like if they wanted a snack, right? They would come to you and they would say, oh, dear father, great dad, amazing parent. You look really good in those clothes today. You're really excellent at sports. I appreciate uh, the way that you did the dishes last night. And I want to remind you about the good things that I did this week. I uh, got an A on that one test. I cleaned my room. I did my chores. Could I please have a granola bar? <laughs> like, it wouldn't take too long before that would get really annoying, wouldn't it? Right? Jesus says, when we come to God, we're not entering into a business partnership. We're not making negotiations. We're not like playing a slot machine and trying to get things lined up the right way so that we can get what we want. We're coming before our Father who knows what we need and who cares about us, we can trust him. It's a totally different framework, isn't it, for the relationship? And then Jesus goes on, and he starts into the Lord's Prayer. 
One of the amazing things about the Lord's Prayer is that for over 2,000 years, it has been prayed by Christians. It's probably one of the most frequently recited prayers throughout all of history. It's pretty amazing. And one of the most unfortunate things about the Lord's Prayer is that it's probably one of the most recited prayers throughout all of history. And so it's easy when we say this prayer for it to feel kind of mechanical, right? Some of you may have grown up saying the Lord's Prayer in schools or learning it at church, and maybe you learn to just kind of recite it without really engaging with its meaning. But Jesus isn't giving us a formula in this prayer. He's not giving us a series of words that he wants wants us to recite. He's doing something much more powerful than that. See, in this context where people only knew how to relate to God through religious rituals and practices, he's teaching them how to relate to their father. This is world-changing stuff. He's changing the way that people are invited to relate to God. I have a sister um, who was adopted, and she's older than me. She was around long before I showed up onto this scene. And, uh, and so I never really thought too much about this, okay? I didn't care whose womb she was put together in. Uh, she was the one playing Barbies with me. She was the one uh, yelling at me from the top bunk to stop kicking her bed. We always related to each other as sisters. She's always my sister. But it was different for my parents. Right? She had a different experience with my parents. When my sister was just two years old, she had to learn how to relate to my dad as her father. First time my sister met my dad, he was just a weird-looking guy with a mustache. It was a great mustache. Nonetheless, he was just a, just a, a weird-looking guy with a mustache. And then my parents took her home. Right? They brought her into our family. And day after day, she learned to understand that this weird-looking guy with a mustache was actually her dad, that he wasn't going to go anywhere Right? He was going to protect her, he was going to provide for her, that he was going to teach her things, and he was going to take her on adventures. This was her father. She had to learn to how to relate to him as her father. And Jesus is showing us how to relate to God as our father. And when we pray this prayer with our hearts and our minds actually engaged in what it is that we're saying, it's not mechanical or boring at all. It's a prayer that will change our lives and can empower us to live the kind of life that Jesus has been describing throughout this Sermon on the Mount, which is life in the kingdom of God. And so let's have a look at what Jesus says. Uh, We're going to walk through the prayer line by line and then kind of um, dig in on each piece of it. So Jesus starts off by addressing God. He says, our father in heaven. And there's so much in these four words that we have to pause here, okay? So the first thing to notice is that Jesus uses the word our. In the Western church, we have become so focused on this personal relationship between me and Jesus. Our faith has become so individualistic in how we think about it. But in scripture, It's very clear that God designed us for community. 
And so we do have this personal relationship with God as our Father, but we also necessarily live in community with brothers and sisters. And from the very beginning of this prayer, we see that we have this incredible gift of being able to call God our Father, and so do the people that we love and care about the most, and so do the people that drive us the craziest. Okay, and so do the people that we don't understand and people across the world. God invites us into this big, messy family that he loves and his heart is for his church to live in unity with one another. And then Jesus calls God Father. He uses this term, this intimate term for God and he invites us to do the same thing. There are no words to explain how wild and crazy this is. It changes everything. This changes the entire framework of how we're invited to live out our faith. That by God's grace, he invites us to relate to him as our father. And then Jesus gives us uh, God's GPS location. Right? So he says, our father in heaven. And unfortunately, the way that this is translated can sometimes give us the sense that God is distant, that he's far away. What comes to mind for you when you think about heaven? A lot of us, I think, we tend to think about this distant, far-off place with streets that are paved with gold and clouds with angels sitting on them, uh, eating Philadelphia cream cheese, if you watch TV in the 90s, Right? But a lot of scholars actually think that this is better translated as in the heavens. It's the plural. And in Jesus' time, people didn't think about heaven in the same way that we think about heaven. Okay, when people talked about the heavens, they were talking about the full expanse of the universe. From as far out as you can possibly imagine, but as close to the air that we breathe. It's a different way of thinking about it, isn't it? Dallas Willard teaches that this first section of the prayer could be translated as, our Father always near us. And this week as I've been praying this prayer, that's the way I've been praying it, and it's really beautiful, the way that it kind of changes the way you think about God and his presence with us. Then Jesus goes on to say, hallowed be your name. So he prays that God's name would be set apart as holy. And in biblical times, names were never just names. Okay, they represented a person's entire identity. And when we know that God is good and perfect, our natural desire is that everyone else in the entire world would recognize that too and that he would be worshipped all over the place. Right, for who he is, because he's good and he's the source of all goodness. And when we line our lives up with that, beautiful things happen in the world. So we desire that he's worshiped. You know, when you love someone, part of the joy of that love is being able to express it. Right? This is why when people fall in love, when couples fall in love, they're constantly talking about each other. Right? They want everyone to, to know how wonderful their beloved is. And it's why when couples are in love, they're constantly doing weird things, like buying each other gifts right? and bringing home flowers and writing each other poems. 
I may be single, but I watch romantic comedies. I know what you people are up to. Right? And so we worship God because we love him. And there's joy in just that worship, just that ability to tell him how much we care about him. And then Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a powerful statement. During our 24 hours of prayer this weekend, somebody quoted N.T. Wright on the prayer wall, and I'm going to read what he says. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, remains one of the most powerful and revolutionary sentences we could ever say. When we say this and mean it, it's amazing what will happen. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're asking that everything would be brought under his rule in the places where we live our normal, everyday lives. And Jesus has been doing all kinds of teaching at this point about what the kingdom of God is all about. And so when we pray for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done, we're praying for justice. We're praying for peace. We're praying for hope and for wholeness and for healing and for freedom in our own lives, but also throughout the world. Ultimately, this is a prayer of surrender. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're setting aside our own agenda and we're aligning our hearts with what God wants in the world. And so at this point in the prayer, We've identified God as our father. We've worshiped his name as holy. And we've asked that he would have his way in our lives and in the world. And only at this point does the prayer shift to focus on us bringing our needs to God. Normally, this is where we start, right? We come to God with our shopping list. But the needs that we bring to God look very different when we've taken the time to orient our hearts around who he is and what it is that he wants in our lives and in the world. And so let's look at verse 11. Jesus prays, give us today our daily bread. There's this invitation. It's an incredible invitation. There's this invitation to pray for our practical needs for the day. If you need food, you can ask God for food. If you need rest, you can ask God for rest. If you need wisdom, you can ask God for wisdom. He loves to provide for us in the same way that a father loves to provide for his children. And when Jesus talks about daily bread here, anybody who, would have, who was listening would have thought immediately about the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness and the manna that God provided them every day for them to eat. So every day, God gave them enough food to get through that day. And we can trust that he's going to do the same for us. That's where our security is found. It's in knowing that God is a trustworthy father who's always taking care of us. And then he prays, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Who here likes to admit it when you've done something wrong? (laughs) No one. No one likes.
likes to admit it. And we, we don't like to admit when we make mistakes, right? Normally, when we mess up, we try to hide it, or we get defensive, or we try to justify our behavior and why it wasn't actually the wrong thing to do at all. And so this part of the Lord's Prayer goes against all of our natural human instincts. And yet, it's crucial because forgiveness is central to the gospel. And we can really only receive God's forgiveness when we're honest about where we're falling short. And there's an incredible freedom that comes when we understand that we can take off our masks and come before God in all of our brokenness and messiness and confess our sin to him and we can trust his promise that we're forgiven. That he doesn't hold it against us. That he forgives us and restores us and offers us new beginnings. And then this forgiveness that we receive to God, from God, we then extend to other people. The truth is that it's impossible for us to really live with a deep sense of an awareness of God's mercy and then to live with a hard heart towards other people. Jesus says this actually in verse 14, right after this prayer. And so we extend this mercy to the other people who have offended us. And this can be really hard, right? God doesn't want us to fake it. And so if we're struggling with forgiveness, we can bring this to God and ask him to change our hearts. And he will. And then Jesus prays, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus wraps up this prayer with a vote of no confidence in our own abilities. There's this recognition that we're vulnerable, that we can't have too much faith in ourselves or much confidence in our ability to stick it out and get through the hard stuff that we face in the world. The reality is that we have an enemy and when, as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, we face a lot of evil, we face a lot of difficult circumstances, and we're dependent on God as our Father to take care of us, to deliver us, and to protect us. And we can trust that as our Father, that he will. Now, some translations have an extra line at the end of this prayer and maybe you learned it this way if you learned the Lord's Prayer as you were growing up. And it says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if that's not in, in the text of your translation, you'll probably see it down at the bottom of the page uh, as a footnote. And the reason that most translations have moved it to a footnote is because it isn't actually found in the earliest um, Greek manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of Matthew. And so most scholars believe that this benediction was added um, very early by the earliest Christians as they used this prayer in liturgical settings. They would typically end their prayers with an expression of worship and praise. And it's a really beautiful and powerful way to end the prayer, just by declaring and stating and affirming this reality that the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to God. And then... I love the way Dallas Willard translates this word, amen. When he gives his paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer, he finishes it by saying, and this is just the way we want it. The kingdom and the power and the glory belong to you, and this is just the way we want it. 
So maybe some of you are here this morning and you feel like you've been running a marathon without any water. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're burnt out. Maybe you've been feeling distant from God. Or maybe some of you are here this morning and you're in a great spot. But regardless of how you came in here this morning, the invitation for you is the same. In John 7, verse 37, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You have a perfect father who loves you, who wants to be in relationship with you. He's ready to forgive. We can trust him to provide for us and to protect us. And he invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. He invites us to be a part of revealing his kingdom in all of this world's brokenness and messiness. And so my prayer this morning is that each one of us will open ourselves up to his presence. Today, tomorrow, and the day after that. In your bulletin, uh, you'll find a postcard with the Lord's Prayer on it. And I would, lo- I would love to encourage you to take that home and to put it somewhere where you're going to see it throughout the week. And then as you go about your day-to-day life, when you see it, just really use it as an opportunity to press into the Lord's Prayer and to connect with God in a deeper way through this prayer. And what we're going to do now is we're actually going to take some time to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Okay, but we're not going to recite it. We're going to take some space, and I'm going to guide us through a bit of a reflective exercise using the Lord's Prayer, just to give you the opportunity to connect the words of the Lord's Prayer with your own life and experience, and to bring yourself before God through it. Okay, so I'm going to invite you to just uh, take a moment to get yourself comfortable in your chair, and then I'm just going to ask you to take a moment to just become aware of God's presence. Center yourself in the reality of his presence now. Jesus prayed, our Father in heaven. Just take a moment to reflect on the reality that God's your Father. Address him as your Father. He's with you, cares for you, he's guiding you, you can trust him. And he's as big as you can possibly imagine, but he's as close as the air that you're breathing. Maybe just focus on your breath now as a reminder that this is how close he is, that he's here that you're in his presence. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just take a moment to worship God. Declare who he is in your life your savior he's our healer he's our hope he's our freedom 
He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's the Good Shepherd. Just express to God your love for Him and your heart to have Him worshiped throughout the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What will it look like for God's kingdom to come in your life? Pray through that with God. What will it look like for God's kingdom to come in your heart, in your mind, in your day-to-day life? What will it look like for God's kingdom to come in your family? In your relationships with those who are closest to you? What will it look like for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done in your workplace? the place where you spend your time throughout the week. Pray that it would be done. And what would it look like for God's kingdom to come in our community in Norfolk County? Maybe God will lay a specific issue on your heart that you can pray through for poverty, for homelessness, for addiction. Whatever God lays in your heart, ask that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. And we pray, give us today our daily bread. What is it that you need from your Father today? Bring your needs to Him. Maybe it's a physical need, a practical need. Maybe you need rest. Maybe you're in need of hope, peace. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you need, bring it before your Father now. Knowing that He's our great provider, that He cares for us like a father cares for his children. And forgive us our debts. Take a moment now to just reflect over the past 24 hours, maybe the last week, and think through if there's anything that you've done that you need to to confess to God now to ask for his forgiveness for. Maybe something you said, something you did that you haven't been feeling good about. We don't have to hide with our Father. We can bring it to him and ask for his forgiveness and trust that he'll forgive us.
Maybe there's something that you felt he was calling you to do and you didn't do it. You can bring that to him too. Pray for his forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Who is it that you need to forgive today? Just bring this relationship before God. Ask him to help you to change your heart, to move you to a position where you're able to forgive. Jesus invites us to pray for our enemies. Maybe just take a moment and pray blessing over this person. He invites us to be agents of reconciliation. It's a beautiful thing when we can show the world what it looks like to forgive and to live at peace with one another. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Just take a moment and ask God for his protection. We're vulnerable, we're weak, we need his help. is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Just let yourself proclaim that truth, that God is the one in control, that he deserves all of the glory and honor and praise. and the power and the glory forever and this is just the way we want it. Amen.